Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks for Thursday, February 4th, 2010, with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. This is Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, and I will be Mr. Carter's co-host for this segment. Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks is on the air every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for sharing this opportunity to serve African-American businesses across the nation by calling in and being part of the solution. Black Wall Street Chicago got its beginning on May 19, 2007, with their Economic Summit 1. Black Wall Street Chicago follows a course once laid out by Brother Malcolm X, one of action, which is directed at, at strengthening, at the strengthening of present and future black businesses and their ability to be self-sufficient. The 75th Street Business Quarter in Chicago has been designated and targeted as the Black Wall Street Chicago Business District. There has also been the addition of Black Wall Street Madison, and Prentice Allison was currently elected chairman of that division. As we welcome the host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, we want to let you know that economic Summit 10, 11, excuse me, Economic Summit 11 is scheduled for February 27th right here in Chicago from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at Holman Square, 3333 West Arlington. Congressman Danny K. Davis will be hosting that event. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you very much. How are you this evening? I'm doing just great, doing just great. Well, now, my pleasure um, to be here with you this evening again. Good, good. We, uh, as I said, uh, the first summit was in 2007. You're up to number 11, Ron. Tell us how right. that feels. This is summit number 11 coming up this well, month. Well, right. Um, I guess the, a good uh, expression of it is if a person ever been to a jam session without any music meaning that we are jam-packed with information, with dialogue. There's a rhythm of the, of the room that goes about. Uh, there's dialogue. There's resolutions. There's motions. And all of that is more like, as I say, it's more of a jam session. So minute by minute things are moving. We're not in a form of a, a, a conference or a convention but actually a summit. So we feel good about uh, Summit 11, and as we move on to every quarter having a, a summit to address issues of sustaining and increasing black businesses. And we got new people coming on, and as we are staying focused on the agenda, we keep that agenda still open to be exclusive to all to take part. So, um, I mean, the, the committee and the, uh, the, the board and people that's involved are enthused as we keep moving forward and as we grow. Sometimes, you know, we, you got these growing pains and you got to get a bigger shoe to fit all the pains uh, before they come, come and settle in. So it's good. You know, the summit is good. The agenda is worthwhile and the mission is overlasting, 
and it is something that definitely got to be done. So uh, we feel good moving to our summit on February 27th. And we want to talk about growing pains. Uh, last week we want to thank the national president of Black Wall Street uh, from Oakland, Michael Carter, for joining Correct. us for that show. We really appreciate oh, yeah. him being here. And uh, Michael said he envisions there being a Black Wall Street in every state. Tell us a little about the growing pains that you experienced, uh, Mr. Carter. Well, when you get the um, when you get a heavy agenda based on trying to pack a lot of different interests because the name Black Wall Street means a lot to a lot of people. If you look at um, the the concept as it may come from New York, when you're speaking about Wall Street, or when you look at the historical uh, massacre that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, that represent a, 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 a strong base of black businesses coming together. So it's the frustration of the past getting to the the growth of, of, of the future and everything in between that we have to be exclusive of every agenda that represents uh, sustaining and increasing black businesses and at the same time being able to manage our growth. It's almost like a, a contractor that may take on a big giant size contract that don't even have all the supplies and the manpowers need to fulfill their job. So we got to be very careful with our growth because sometimes you can be overwhelmed with the growth and the whole foundation can fall down if it's not built properly. So that growing pain is part of people want us to move faster than what we are, and then you got some people want us to move a little bit slower and a little bit cautious. Uh, and as Black Wall Street is beginning to represent other cities around the country to the point that the national summit, the first national summit, is put on the agenda of Black Wall Street Chicago. So as we take on that load, we still have to take care of the what you call take care of your base, take care of your home, but at the same time represent a national agenda at the same time. So that's part of the growing pains that we have to be able to manage that it doesn't overwhelm a volunteer type of organization, which sometimes uh, people take the perception that we are an organization that's been around for years. Uh, and that may have something to do with the historical name Black Wall Street, or and it may have something to do with the frustration. Uh, one of our members, which is now our vice uh, chairman, uh, before she came to the first summit, she said, now, when I come to the summit, I don't want to come to no meeting with everybody crying. And so she said she wanted to make that very clear. And then when she got to the summit, she was the first one to share some tears. But uh, those tears were shared with other business people as well. So, uh, and then the question came, 
why you need to cry. So when it comes to black businesses, there are a lot of things that we have to cry about, even if we have to cry about what happened to Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. Those are crying pains that are still felt today that has uh, affected our economic growth, whether it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Atlanta City, um, Oakland, California, and Harlem of New York. The reflections of our economic agenda and our frustrations and our blood, sweat, and tears are felt the same throughout every city of Chicago, I'm sorry, of every city of the United States. So we have to be exclusive, but yet we have to be very structured in our agenda as we move forward in securing our parity of representation as it comes to the economics of the United States. So very well said. Mm-hmm. Good. Very well said. And we are going to be inclusive. And we wanted our listeners to know you're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, host for this segment. We want them to know that uh, we're growing, too. As of next week, we will officially be Black Wall Street USA. And How about that? <laughs> how about that? That's, that's a right. wonderful thing, Mr. Carter, a wonderful thing. And we are going to be inclusive. We're going to be reaching out across the nation to all the Black Wall Street segments, uh, the new ones. Uh, just If you just started last week, we're going to be reaching out all over uh, South Carolina, Atlanta, uh, everywhere to make them a part of this show and a part of the uh, sharing the dialogue and the information about not only about about what needs to be done, but how it is going to be done and being accountable for it being done. We want to once again remind you that Economic Summit 11 is scheduled for February 27th right here in Chicago, 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at Holman Square, 3333 West Arlington. Congressman Danny K. Davis will be hosting that event. The first 250 guests will receive some wonderful, wonderful goodie bags that we're putting together for you. So we really want you to spread the word, and we want you to come out and be a part of this. This has grown every year. And as far as Ron, I think Ron and his staff, who's been around with him from the beginning, that it is growing beyond the expectations. Ron, I want to uh, introduce our guest. Our guest this evening is Mr. Daryl Jones owner of Jones Construction here in Chicago. He's going to be joining us this evening to discuss the state of the black contractor in the neighborhood, Chicago, and America. Ron, the question I want to ask, the question on the table, uh, who gives a damn about the black contractor? Let's welcome him to the show. Uh, Mr. Jones with us? Excuse me? How you doing, Mr. Jones? I'm good. I'm good, Mr. Scott. How about yourself? We're, we're doing great. Uh, uh, you got the title of the show this evening? Uh, do I have the title of the show? Yes. The uh, title of the, the show is Who Gives a Damn? The title of the show is Who Gives a Damn About the Black Contractor? <laughs> That's the title of the show this evening. But yeah, before well, we get into the, 
But before we get into that, uh, let's hear a little bit about uh, who is Daryl Jones. What what are you about, and who are you being in the construction business? Um, I am uh, president of Jones Construction. Uh, we've been around for some eight, nine years. We've done uh, work for several of the state and federal agencies and even city uh, agencies. We did a lot of work for CHA. Uh, a lot of work for CHA. Uh, we've done, uh, we've remodeled several homes. Uh, we've been doing tank uh, ready for a long time. So uh, we've been around a while. We've been, mm-hmm. we've been here for a bit. We, we know very well some of the issues that uh, face black contractors. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, how did you end up getting into the uh, construction business yourself? Um, actually, uh, it happened uh, three, about ten years ago, and uh, I was just talking with my wife, and I said, you know, I'm going to be in real estate. I'm going to be doing some real estate within the next six months. And uh, next thing you know, I hooked up with a uh, real estate company, and uh, actually a friend of mine was with them originally, and uh, he actually became my partner. But what he was doing, he he specified uh, on the outside of the houses. So I said, now I want you to see if I can get in on the inside. And uh, so he he uh, introduced me to the owner of the company. And uh, within 30 days, I had a well, he let me paint a house for him. And after I did that, he allowed me to do a uh, actually a six-unit property. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was actually, and, and and we were kind of blessed in that sense because I used Brothers Out of the Hood, you know, and uh, we we were fortunate enough to be able to, if we messed up a countertop or something, we were, you know, he had given me, I was able to, I, you know, because of my integrity and how I dealt with them and every time they came, the merchandise or everything for the property was always there. So, uh as long as I, if we messed up something, all we had to do was go back and get something else. So we, we got to the point where our detail work was just off, you know. So, uh, so uh, you know, we, we learned as we went, you know. So are you saying that you actually did not have any, uh, prior to 10 years, you did not have no interest or the construction field really wasn't your, uh, profession, you just kind of molded yourself into it from uh, arrangements with a business partner? Uh, actually, I was, you know, I've always been a painter. So, uh, okay. You know, and then so I was doing painting, and, yeah, that's, that's you know, it, I willed it, and it just, you know, just came into being. It, it, it was uh okay. So if you didn't get into construction, do you think you would have pursued more in real estate? Uh, yeah, I actually, you know, I should have uh, did more in real estate. Uh, you know, when you, you know, when you get those checks in your hand, and you know, you, you, you've been backed up for so long, and and dealing with the system, but uh, I kind of let a, I let time go by, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that's that situation there. Okay. So, well, being in the construction uh, field, have there been any particular, um, would you say, role model or a mentor of you of yours that kind of 
got you to be where you are today? Well, I, yeah, I had uh, I had several role models uh, actually, and, and then uh, I did a lot of research, and so I, I, you know, even even back then, I was really watching uh, Bob Vila with this uh-huh. old house, and uh, right, you know, I and, and a friend of mine, he was he was already into the business, and he had been to he had been into it. Uh, several years before myself, and, uh, I mean, he was doing exactly the same thing that they were doing on the television, and, and uh, you know, and this was, I, this is the truth, I said, man, we got to start filming this thing and call it this crib of the hood, this old crib of the hood. That All was right. The, yeah, the, any of the uh, reality, other reality uh, uh, home remodeling shows came about, so that okay. thing was real well, you know, but... Uh, Again, yeah, he was a uh, he was a great influence of mine, and right now today, he is just uh, he's going to another level as far as being able to to do what he can do in, in terms of uh, designing and and just taking a doghouse and turning it into a mansion. Brothers, mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, so with the um, uh, being in the construction and where you are today. And taking, um, uh, I don't know if our title, Who Gives a Damn, a Black Contractor, uh, would you call that being um, a, a, um, a, a good question, or out-of-place question, or not a fair question? I think it's a, I think it's a very fair question, and, it, you, know, it, you know, in terms of a statement, it might be even an understatement, you know. Uh, because we we uh, we know that there are entities there that are trying as as fast as we as hard as we're trying to create opportunities. They're working doubly as hard to make sure that we don't have any opportunities. So I think okay. When important. you say uh, who is they? What are you referring to? Um, they is just that force that that is uh, bent on keeping the black contractor uh, struggling. Uh, when I was working with... Okay, let me get this clear. Who is that force? Well, you know, so we can get a little clear here. Who is the force, the, who is the they force that you're referring to? Well, those are the white, those are the, the uh, white contractors, the, the big guys, the big group. Okay. Know, they are, yeah, and, and, and uh, as I was about to say, when I was doing... Uh, a lot of work, you know, they they have this uh, minority work that they kind of have to give you based on how they got the contract in the first place, and so there's a set aside, federal set aside, and uh, what they what they do is they actually strangle you. I I know guys, uh, man, I know brothers that have gone out of business because they have put up their houses, taken out second mortgages, and and put up their summer homes and just and then, you know, thinking you're going to get paid in, in 60 days, and then you don't get paid for six months, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they've placed, they put a lot of black businesses out of this, a lot of black mm-hmm. contractors out of this. So is there a, uh, let me get back to the title here, who gives a damn about black uh, contractors? Uh, 
we have this uh, vision in the uh, in the community whereby we can drive down the street and on the sidewalks, doing the sidewalks, you can see other groups doing the sidewalks. You can drive down another block and you will see um, other ethnic groups doing a porch and a couple of porches down, you see a bunch of black guys sitting on the porch with idle time. And then you can see um, other property owners that have other groups uh, doing work. So, and this is basically in the black community. And then at times you will have, you can see, looking for a black contractor, and you find a black contractor, and then when they come get ready to do the work, you got other ethnics doing the work. So is this, um, why should we give a damn about black contractors when we see black guys hanging on the porch while other guys are doing work, and we see the property owners tend to not be concerned uh, on the outer about who they hire, and then you see the the city works of doing sidewalks, you see other groups doing it. So is it a, a people justified not to give a damn about black contractors, or what has happened that that's not the case? I, I mean, just to go back a little bit, my uh, great-grandfather uh, built a church at um, uh, Carter's Temple on 47th, 42nd Street, black contractors, okay. Uh, build the, the the White House, uh, and so there was a strong presence of black contractors. I would think all the way up to the uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but up to the uh, 80s, and then it seems as though it's just our dwelling. Uh, so, what is this madness about the black contractor that people can't somewhat get a grip on from Commercial to residential. Um, well, in my opinion, that uh, that answer is not really a it's not a simple answer. Uh, you know, as you stated, yeah, sure, uh, black slaves built the White House. Uh, now, these slaves were not just uh, farmers, and these slaves were engineers. You know, they were. Carpenters, they were, they had knowledge, vast uh, range of knowledge. But as we, when we get back to that force of they, 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 those people have uh, created a system of self-hate that not only permeates from our youth to our youth, but it, it permeates from our uh, homeowners to our contractors. Now, you tell me why uh, a homeowner would have an Hispanic uh, contractor doing their work or they would have a Polish guy doing their work or uh, a Croatian doing their work. And uh, if they got a bad uh, contractor out of those ethnic groups, they'd get another one. But the minute they have a black contractor, that has an issue, 
Then the statement goes forth, I'm never going to deal with another black contractor. You'll never hear a Chinese say, I'll never do business with another Chinese. You'll never hear a Polish say that. You'll never hear a Greek say that. You'll never hear even a Mexican say that. They, they patronize each other. This thing is only in our race, and it, it, it is, and it, and it is. Well, as you being the, uh, the co-chair of the black contractors in the neighborhood, a, a part of the uh, Black Wall Street, what do you and the black contractors in the neighborhood help, uh, hope to do to kind of turn this around? What are your initiatives uh, to uh, reach out to residential as well as to um, a commercial to turn this around, or is it too late to turn it around? Uh, it's never too late. It's, it's not too late until we're gone, and we're still here, so it's not too late. There's got to be hope. Uh, so I'm hoping uh, that we would start with the homeowner and and to sway the opinions of our people as far as us doing contractor work, if we just get our people on board first. I mean, there's enough homeowners here that could keep brothers in the neighborhood working, keep them working. And the thing is, is that once that happens, then we will have the credibility to uh, go and attack these commercial uh, contracts. But not only will we have the credibility of just doing the work with the uh, private homeowners, which are black people, we would have them as, you know, uh, they, they would be references for us. And so they would mm -hmm. be, once they saw us turn this thing around, you see, because we plan on having an accountability letter. We plan on standing behind every black contractor that we send out from, black, from BCN. We plan on, you know, realizing that all things happen. This is just a world of human beings, and so things happen. Anything can happen to make that contractor look inferior because he didn't finish that job, but we plan to stand behind those contractors. And we want to try not to blackball contractors. We want to give brothers the benefit of the doubt. We want them to get their companies back together and get them back up and running. And we want to move. We want to move. We want to move. Mm -hmm. so well, what is the uh, what is one of your first initiatives with uh, black contractors in the neighborhood? Well, as I was stating, we we we. Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, we want something that's uh, comparable to the uh, Black Better Business Bureau, but and it will just be in a an accountability agreement. And we're going to approach uh, homeowners. Uh, we're going to try to get some weatherization contracts, which will get us into the homes uh, during that federal uh, weatherization piece. Once we get into the homes, then we can point out other things that the homeowner needs to have done, and, and once, you know, our people are just like anybody else. Really, they yeah, they may have a, a thought about us, but once we come in and we give them some uh, professional work and and, and and some proficient work, then that's going to change it. That's going to sway them. And, you know, we all know that uh, word of mouth is the best advertising, so I'm thinking that thing will catch on like wildfire. Mm -hmm. 
I understand that the uh, black contractors in the neighborhood had a meeting with Alderman uh, Friaretti of the Second Ward here in Chicago, in which the uh, uh, the comment from Alderman Friaretti that he would be open to parity of the work that's in the Second Ward uh, with uh, the work in the in the uh, second ward so for example the second ward is basically about 50 percent black uh but he came up with a uh an agreement at the last summit of black wall street that he will work toward parity as it relates to the population of work that he has jurisdiction on in the second ward is there any uh, movement, or what is the next uh, step toward that? Well, he asked us to uh, give him a proposal, and he would uh, he would take it forward. He would take it to the city council. Uh, he he just wants to see, and uh, he's interested in the see uh, black contractors in the neighborhood being uh, on the south side. We've also uh, we've been making contact with. Uh, contractors in the south suburbs with contractors on the west side. So we plan on, we, we're trying to establish some solidarity where we will all come together and, and we'll, you know, still be black contractors in the neighborhood. We're hoping to have one, uh, a south side, uh, division, even a, even a west side division. But, uh, Artemis already has, uh, stated that, you know, he just wants us to send him or give him a proposal. Of, of what we would like to have done, and yeah, he's, he's uh, agreed to really back it and and to stand behind us. So, mm-hmm. and that's what we're in the process of doing right now. Okay. So, do you think that that was something that's going to be on the um, agenda for the next Black Wall Street uh, Summit for February the twenty seventh? Yes, definitely, definitely, I do. Uh, uh, this thing he's asking for is immediate, so he should have that before the summit. And if he's present, I'm sure he'll even be speaking on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds great. Well, uh, Sonia, are we ready for a break or are we moving forward? Let's take a break. Uh, we'll okay. be right back. You're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with your host, Mr. Ron Carter of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, co-host for this segment. Our guest this evening is Daryl Jones, owner of Jones Construction, and we want to thank you for joining us. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. We support organizations like Partners in Community Building, Inc., as they contribute to building up our communities by enriching the lives of others. Partners in Community Building is a nonprofit organization, and there is no charge for their services. PICB is a HUD certified counseling agency, and here are just a few of the services available to you in the Chicagoland area. Foreclosure prevention, there's no charge for this service. Winterization, who doesn't need their home winterized? CETA energy assistance and furnace programs. Even if you are paying your electric and gas bill on time, you may still qualify for assistance from CETA. Home ownership counseling is available as well as rental assistance referrals. Partners in Community Building is located at 3424 South State Street in Chicago. 
For additional information and to schedule an appointment, contact PICB at 312-328-0873. Call 312-328-0873 for all of your housing needs. Ms. Bobby Ball is the Executive Director of Partners in Community Building, Inc. Tell her you heard about it on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Give me a way, yeah. 
We're back, and you are tuned in to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue. Now, I know you've probably never heard that song before. That was singer-songwriter Sir Charles. He is a Chicago's Black Business Network member, and he says that I was born in Moss Point, Mississippi. I am a singer, a songwriter. I write about love and all about love, and that's what I do. Now, we invite all of our members on Chicago's Black Business Network to send us an MP3 of their song or their performance, and we'll play it on an upcoming show. That's that's what we do at Chicago's Black Business Network.com, and we want all of you to come over and join us. Our show, CBBN on Blog Talk Radio, airs on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on this station, Blog Talk. And uh, we bring our members on. We feature our members. Last week we had three members on. Don Yerger, uh, Diamond Mind Consulting, was on, talking about brand imaging. Pencilman, who is a master pencil artist, who has also donated a, a Civil War poster to uh, the Economic Summit 11 on February 27th here in Chicago. And uh, Ms. Shanae Williams was on the show, and she's on the front of the uh, independent Bulletin this week, a weekly uh, newspaper in Chicago. That's what we do for our members of Chicago's Black Business Network. We give them a form to speak. We give them a form to present their products. Uh, I I had a member come on yesterday who will be on a show tomorrow, um, Minister Raheem Atone, uh, call him the sex preacher, the sex minister. He was surprised because he came on yesterday, joined us. We talked about doing a show because of all the things that he does for the community. I admire that. I have to support that. That's what we do. Uh, he came on. I put one of his videos right on the front page. He performed at Kawanza uh, over at Malcolm X College in Chicago. He did a great performance. It should be seen. It, sh- it, sh- it should be shared, and that's what we do. So come over to Chicago'sBlackBusinessNetwork.com and join us. Come over to Black Wall Street Chicago and join us. Partners in community building, we want you to know uh, they're having a housing fair scheduled for Wednesday, February 17th from noon to 7.30 p.m. This fair will be held in the offices of South Street Journal at 449 East 35th Street. And for all of you new listeners, Ron Carter, who is the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, is also the editor and publisher of South Street Journal, and he so graciously lent this nonprofit organization his office to have this housing fair in. For additional information and to schedule an appointment, call PICB at 312-328-0873, 312-328-0873. We want you all to know we just don't talk the talk, we walk the walk. Also, South Street Journal has a special offer for all the listeners on CBB and on Blog Talk Radio. Place an ad with South Street Journal between now and February 27th, the date of the Black Wall Street Chicago Summit 11, and receive 10, 10 MP3 ad announcements on an upcoming segment of Black Wall Street Chicago right here on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Once again, place an ad with South Street Journal between now and February 27th, and receive 10 ad announcements on this show, which you spread the word for us, which you do that for us. That permits full coverage of your product or service in both the print media 
ad to an Internet audience, and that is a great deal. You can place your ad by contacting South Street Journal at 312-624-8351. That number is 312-624-8351. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. I see you on the line, but I cannot let you on unless you press the number one, but you are absolutely free to listen. Thank you in the chat room. We'll appreciate you being there. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you would like to speak to our guest or if you have a comment. Our guest this evening is Gerald Jones, owner of Jones Construction, and we're, talk- we're discussing the state of the black contractor in the neighborhood, Chicago, and America. We are here to ask America, who gives a damn about the black contractor? Ron, back to yeah. you. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, Mouthpiece, Mississippi. <laughs> Mouse Point, M O S. Mouse Point. Oh, well, what's, what's the difference? Mouse Point, Mouthpiece. Gosh, okay. Well, again, uh, okay. Uh, where are you from, Bill? You from Mouthpiece, Mouse Point, Mississippi? Or? You say, Bill? Yeah, where are you from? You from Chicago originally? <laughs> Actually, I was born in Chicago, but uh, by way of Mount Bayer. Mississippi. Who? Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Okay, Okay, that's okay. (laughs) My people are from Greenville, Mississippi, so I ain't that far, okay? Uh, So, but at the same time, I I do want to uh, follow up that uh, sax preacher, Minister Raheem, I was honored to have him uh, perform at my wedding a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Bobby Ball has been a supporter of South Street Journal with her advertisement. So we got good company through the uh, Chicago Black Business Network, that's for sure. So, uh, Daryl, uh, where does that Z come from? Say again? Where does the Z come from on Jones? Uh, that's just spelled like it sounds. Uh, you know, okay. There's, there's a lot of Joneses. Okay, uh-huh. so you definitely put yourself apart from the rest of the Jones with the yeah. Z opposed yeah. to the uh, e, uh, E-S. Exactly. exactly. Very creative. So uh, I think that there's that uh, a, a way of that marketing in order to uh, – Keep yourself stood out among other contractors as you uh, uh, have yourself um, uh, out there in the public? Well, yeah, you know, that as well as uh, uh, it's just been people always pull up and say, you know, they always ask me, how do you pronounce that? And so that always leads into a conversation. Okay, all right. And that that conversation leads to work every now and then? Every now and then it does. And one other thing I wanted to mention, though, uh, Ryan, was that uh, with the uh, topic today. Uh, with the what? I'm sorry. What's that again? The topic. With the okay. topic being what it is today, you know, and that being actually the consensus, you know, who gives a damn about the black contractor. With that being the situation, uh, one of the reasons that black contractor in the neighborhood wants to target uh, the the uh, the homeowner 
is because we want to we want to create a presence in our neighborhoods again. We want to see we want our kids in the neighborhood to see black people working. We want them to see black. We want the young boy that's going off to school to see young black to see black men on top of the roof. We want them to see black men building the porch. We want them to stand and watch them and 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 be concerned and and want to know what they're doing. And at the same time, uh, black contractors. We, we plan to put together a coalition that's going to start uh, buying these properties. We want to start buying these properties in the neighborhood, and we want to flag them. Now, this is another house done by a black contractor in the neighborhood, and we want that. We want those flags to be prevalent. So we want, you know, to buy back community after community after community. We want to get our presence, uh, the presence of black contractors uh, working on homes in our community so that our people can once again uh, begin to have confidence in us and, and in our race as the builders that we really are. Remember, we built the, the pyramids, and, and the world can't figure out how that was done yet. Mm-hmm. Well, you have, um, there, is there a, have been there a gap between Blacks that's entering in the construction field, uh, if I have to use the example of Washburn uh, Construction School, where a lot of blacks use that school. I mean, even if I can go far back to say when I was in high school, I hit wood shop. And I remember my brother, my younger brother, he was a teen, he uh, went into the job uh, corps, and he took up construction. And uh, then there was those um, uh, on-the-job training that a lot of uh, contractors got involved that uh, hyped up the presence. But in the absence of schools such as the Washburn, such as the, uh, the again, the job corps, uh, such as woodshop in the uh, high schools, is there a gap of blacks entering the construction field uh, that have aided to the the lack of blacks in the construction field being in the neighborhood? Well, certainly there is, and it's, it's because of what we just stated. Uh, you know, in our neighborhoods, we see other people working. So if we see other people working on the houses, you know, you walking down the street, and, and back when I was growing up, I mean, used my father build a, worked on buildings that was right in our community, and uh, he was a he was an iron worker. And so that that kind of led uh, an interest in building. Uh, the kids don't, uh, young black Men don't have that today. They don't have that incentive. They don't. They don't see us working. So yeah, there's a gap. And then there's also uh, they they closed down Washburn, which was accessible to uh, our community. But they have other uh, uh, trade schools, but they're so far out. And then they cost so much that our kids can't even you know apply to them. But also once they do, and they end up getting in the union then, you know, they get uh, the unionizes them, so they still can't find work. So we need an alternative to, uh, we need an alternative to that. We need, an, uh, we need a system where we are uh, 
for whatever it is, we, we're buying properties or we're buying these multi-unit buildings, and then we are doing, we're giving on-the-job training. But um, as we know, there's been training programs, Gazoo, but then at the end of the training, if there's no job, what was the use of the training? So we, we need to have a better system than that. Now, there was an, uh, at one point um, a guy by the name of Eddie Reed was looking at the problem of getting blacks to get um, reasonable work. And the question came up that these uh, uh, blacks are not in the union. So one thing that he came up with to start a black union. I'm not for sure where that at. That's uh, a few years ago that he was talking about establishing a black union. Uh, but what is the logistics of a union versus not having a union? Why do someone have to be a part of a union in order to get some work? Well, Chicago is a union town. Uh, and so uh, the unions pretty much, they dictate. They dictate policy here. Uh, well, that policy, for example, what type of policy? Uh, now, is that mainly toward commercial work, or does that also union uh, cloud relates to residential work, or is it just commercial work that the, there's a need to be a, a union member in the construction? Yeah, that that's basically a... Uh, a commercial entity uh, interest, and that's why, we, as black contractors in the neighborhood, we want to target the community because then we don't have to deal with unions. We don't have to deal with uh, uh, being union even, and even uh, being union. Uh, if you had, let's say, you, you if a company decided, if my company decided to become union, then the unions themselves, you got to open your books up, you got to come in. I mean, they could they could destroy you if they wanted to. They could tear you down. So we don't we we at black contractors in the neighborhood we cannot afford to have any more slip ups. We need to be we need to hit the ground running. We need to uh, acquire some of these properties. Or we need to contact some of these homeowners. And and by March first, you know mid March, we need to have already estimated uh, jobs ready to go. Now, is there a projected uh, dollar amount that can be foreseen that the black contractors or the black contractors in the neighborhood can foresee that can be secured, or is there a foresight of how much uh, or how many construction jobs that may can be secured, say, by the, for all lack of terms, the end of the construction season. Is there a, a number or a dollar amount that can be foreseen that can be generated among the uh, black contractors and as it relates to black contractors in the neighborhood? Or have there uh, been such a group that came up with how many jobs or a dollar amount? That I uh, we have not uh, I've not done any research in that uh, at this point, and uh, we haven't even uh, talked on that level right now. Uh, basically, right now, what we want to do is just get started, 
and we want to put the first guy once and the second guy and the third. We wanna we wanna start training people, and we want to uh, we want to teach young men how to go to work, how to dress for work, how to act when you're at work, how to work. Yeah, you know, our young people they want to work, but they don't know how to work. So they'll go to work and they think that they can do the same things that, that we talked about them doing earlier, just standing around. And, you know, that'll get you fired, you, you know, the first day. Boss, they don't say nothing to you. He don't want you there in the first place. But if he catch you standing around, then you're out of here. Well, we, well, we got to create. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, a scenario um, when it comes to hiring black youth, uh, somewhat in the construction, but in general. Uh, and this here is an assessment from two sources. One assessment was from the Chicago Board of Education, where they did a study, and that study indicated that black youth of today are intelligent to do the classwork and to get the the, the book smarts, but their work ethics are to the pits, to the point that they had to develop a curriculum on work ethics is and my questioning is that has been somewhat of the uh, of the sentiments of some property owners, and when it comes to hiring black contractors, that the work ethics are at a low uh, compared to others. Is that a fair assessment? Even to the point of the Board of uh, Education, Chicago School Board has come up with a curriculum that address work ethics. Yeah, it's, it's a very fair assessment. Uh, a quick story. I once was doing a uh, rehab, and I had a Hispanic guy with me. Uh, we were partnered on this job. Uh, and I had my young nephew working with me. He had his uh, his son working with him, and he also had his friend's son, his brother-in-law's son, and uh, or his brother's son, uh, so his nephew as well. So this now his brother was a doctor, okay. So he asked me to, to uh, let the, let his uh, nephews come out and work with him, and the nephew and his son. So they were coming out, and they, these guys were working hard. Now my nephew, on the other hand. Uh, he worked, I worked him hard, he worked hard a couple of hours, and then he was ready to quit. I mean, he just started dragging around. And you know what the Hispanic said? He said, man, you, you know, you should let him go home. You should let him go home. I said, I can't let him go home. I didn't know, I, I'm responsible. He's my responsibility. I've got to teach him how to work. He can't, how, how can we make it? If, if we don't work, how can he make it if he doesn't work? Now, he wants me to work his guy, his, his kid, because he wanted his kid to learn how to work, but not he wants me to send my kid home. So I'm saying that to say, uh, Ryan, is that we cannot, we must not uh, leave our children to the situation that they are in. Uh, because, they're, you know, when we were growing up, uh, you know, it was mandatory that you work. You learned how to work in your in your mother's house. You learned that. So, I mean, and you couldn't drag when she said clean up the kitchen, clean up the bathroom. All that stuff had to be done, and it had to be instant. But that's not the case today. So they come out of the home, even though they got good grades, they still got lazy work habits or, or, or slowful uh, work ethics. 
and we got to get that thing out of them because we know that if they do not pick it up, they cannot make it. Mm-hmm. So is that a um, is that part of a direction or of the black contractors in the neighborhood to try to address the work ethics of uh, those that's entering or possibly to enter the construction field? That is that is definitely uh, an interest. It's definitely a concern, and that is that's where we're headed. In that, uh, in the training that we propose, we we you know we're targeting these young people. We're targeting our young boys, and and we're targeting them knowing the drawbacks that they have. Now we're not going to say we're not going to look at them, and then we know that there we know that situation, so we're going to go to the Hispanic young people. No, we got to deal with our people. You know who if, if we want to say who gives a damn about a black contractor? If we don't work to our young people, we're saying who gives a damn about our own people? Who gives a damn about our children? Well, it seems as though um, you know, all from the lack of examples, it seems as though McDonald's do a good job at uh, hiring and training. I don't know the internal. Uh, management of McDonald's, but they seem to be able to uh, train the youth at, at McDonald's. Is there a different method that McDonald's use compared to uh, in the construction? Uh, is it a, a, a form of they have money to focus more on training than uh, contractors do not have a, a method of screening and training to secure the right workers? Well, um, one thing I, I feel about McDonald's is a large corporation, and and when a uh, individual, a young person, uh, identifies themselves as being a serious uh, person that, that is looking to the future, then McDonald's Corporation knows how to give them incentives to make them uh, pliable and to give them uh, to make gains and make progress. On the other hand, if you look at the McDonald's, if you really look at them, you're going to see the same thing we're talking about in the construction field. You're going to see Hispanics in the McDonald's. You'll see that. And you'll see, uh, you know, I pulled up to a fast food restaurant not too long ago, and the sister on the uh, intercom, man, she exhibited the most professional uh, attitude. I mean, and I, you know, I, I must have remade my order about five or six times. She didn't not not once uh, two smack, not one smack of the lips. Everything was positive and professional. And man, when I got to that window, I said, "My sister, my sister, I have to congratulate you." Because, man, I ain't had that kind of professionalism from a fast food restaurant in a lot of years. She said, you know, sister said, would you please uh, sign this and send this to my corporate office so they know that you feel like that, feel that way. And, and uh, the only point that I'm making is I say all that to say that we still have our young people that are very serious about what they're doing. We have our young people that are serious about what they're doing, but at the same time, we have those that slip through the cracks. And what we have to do is to make sure that we don't lose them. 
know, well, I can't admit that uh, driving down the street last year, and this was one of a an incentive uh, for Black Wall Street to uh, move on with uh, black contractors in the neighborhood, is that driving down the street, uh, just minding my own business, and it was on 111th Street off of State Street, and I was just driving, minding my business, and I looked on the side out the window, and I seen something like uh, 20 black guys working on this building. I hit the brakes, and I said, what the hell is going on here? And so I had to get out the car and talk to this contractor, and I said, what's this all about? You know, say, what are you talking about, what this is all about? Where all these black workers come from? He said, man, I, as a matter of fact, he was down south Mississippi too somewhere. And he talked just as country as I don't know what, but he said, I train these guys, and I go to the streets, and I get them, and I clean them up, and I tell them they're going to get to work. And I tell you, those guys, and he made a profession of uh, getting brothers off the street, off the drugs, and putting them to work. So, yeah, I have to uh, agree with you. Definitely it can be done. Uh, with that in mind, let me ask you, uh, first of all, uh, Sonia, do we have any callers? We do have a caller on the line. Would you like to go to the caller? Sure. Let's go to the caller. Okay. You're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with our host, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. His guest this evening is Daryl Jones, owner of Daryl, oh, let's see, owner of Jones Construction Company here in Chicago. Caller uh, 708, you're on the air. Good evening. Yeah. Hi, Sonia. This is uh, Boise. Boise Queen, one of our favorite callers. How are you this evening? Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you? Hi. Okay, how you doing, Boise? Hey, okay, great, great, great. Mm-hmm. I was listening, and um, a lot of the of what I heard kind of reflected back on what I used to do before I be, became a a full time musician. Um, uh, but I just want to touch on one thing. Uh, a lot of the I've been around a lot of jobs out here, okay, um, both uh, in, let's say, you might say construction and what have you, uh, in, in, in uh, previous years. What it all boils down to is is how, in terms of how you, how professional you are out here with uh, with your work. And what you do is, I think a lot of young people have to be, have to develop a very stronger sense of self-esteem about themselves. Uh, You described that one lady at that fast food restaurant, okay? Uh, uh, Obviously, the way she was able to articulate herself that way. And um, in taking orders and uh, being professional in her attitude was has a lot to do with how she felt about herself on the job. Okay, exactly. it has a lot to do with that. And and you could give you could 
provide all kinds of training out here for young people to do whatever. But if you don't get that one niche, that one niche inside of them to feel that they are special, that they have to change their attitude about themselves and develop a sense of self-esteem, all the training in the world isn't going to do any good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that. I, that tra- Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Okay. Well. No. Yeah, right. What I'm alluding to here is is the fact is 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 that you know you have to have a positive sense of self awareness about yourself that you can do this and that secondly you want to do this to convince yourself that you can do this well let me ask this here if you are in the being in the construction and having a business that you got to run uh and when you are sensitive uh on the surface of the need to have youth to come particularly in the construction field but at the same time uh time is money and getting the job done. How do a contractor be able to spark that 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 that, that interest and that self esteem in an individual in a timely manner, but at the same time being able to get the job done uh without babysitting a self esteem and being able to get that job done in order to get paid, what's the difference here, or is there? How, how does a, a contractor, or how do you address that, uh, building that esteem, but yet hurry up and getting that job done? Okay, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you one example. Uh, back in the in the early 1990s, I was involved as a, uh, I used to. I I was a environmental health technician, okay, which um, most of the work that I did, I was was, uh, associated with a consulting firm in industrial hygiene. Our principal Mm -hmm. work was to remove asbestos in buildings and schools. All right. Okay. Part of my job was um went through the training course, went through um uh certification. Okay. Went in fact I was certified by the Illinois Department of Public Health mm-hmm. for at least about 4 or 5 years. Okay. And to the point where we had to go out and actually train or conduct classes working with contractors who would be going into these buildings and schools to be able to remove asbestos safely without contaminating themselves and the environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, came across a few, a lot of, a few of them were black, a lot of them were black workers, a lot of them. There was, there was quite a few white workers, but there was a lot of black workers. One of the challenges that I that I faced when we went through some of these training courses, training classes, 
uh, uh, with these uh, contractors to prep them is is the change is to try to focus on changing, especially like with, with our black workers, to change changing the attitude about work. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying here is what I mean by changing an attitude. A lot of those guys that I faced in these classes would have the attitude like, well, you know, all they do is just going in there scraping the piping, uh, asbestos-contaminated pipe and insulation off of pipes or taking up asbestos tile or, or what have you and so forth. And they looked at it as, hey, that's just manual labor, Okay. It's not just manual labor. Mm-hmm. You have to look at where you're at, and you have to look at how you are going. have to understand the professionalism about the job to be able to do it safely. Mm-hmm. That's what was lacking. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what was lacking. Mm-hmm. They had plenty of energy to go out there. I mean, these guys basically were went in there, you know, uh, getting paid what? Thirteen, fifteen dollars an hour. All right. Well, that was some nice money back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Okay, and right. so basically, is that uh, they looked at it and know I'm just gonna go into containment and, and I'm just gonna just you know just work you know and it, but w- the point here that I'm trying to make here is 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 this. Me and those guys, I found out, they did not understand certain safety procedures when they went into that kind of environment to do their job that could potentially contaminate themselves and the outside environment. Mm-hmm. That stems from a lack of professional attitude about the job. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had to key in on that, and I had to take a group, and I said, well, look, look at where you're at, okay? You are everything. You have to have a different type of professional attitude. Don't look at this as just a manual labor job, mm-hmm. Okay. And that you can go in there and just collect maybe thirteen to fifteen dollars an hour and so forth. You know, they had an old saying, uh, if I can remember it right. Um, there was one contractor uh, that hired a group of black guys to go in there to go into containment and remove asbestos, and he gave them a trial job. You know, they sent them on a small, small detail trial job. Mm-hmm. And the old saying goes is um, if you remove if you if you remove twenty five feet of asbestos material, you're on the street. If you remove fifty feet, you can't be beat. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, and they went into that environment. In other words, is they. They went into that environment looking at it as a 
as a challenge to to remove as much as possible to keep from to be able to attain the factors that they can't compete without looking at the safety factors and the professionalism of the job. Okay. For instance, for instance, to give you a, a closer example, when I got that group of guys in containment, they were so immersed in removing the stuff that they forgot to keep the atmosphere wet. Mm. And it's very, very necessary to keep asbestos removal environment misted and damp because that way any airborne fibers will fall to the floor. If you keep it dry and you don't keep that air, that means any kind of scraping, what have you, will charge up asbestos. They'll remain in the air, and the longer the retention time in the air, the greater the exposure that, that they will have to eventually work themselves on the outside or work themselves on the persons involved in containment, and they carry that on the outside. Right. Well, Joe, let me, uh, based on uh, Bo- Boise, correct? Yeah. Okay. Based on uh, his comments, um, is there a difference in how you hire and train uh, versus time and money in training? Um, well, I'd first like to respond to some things Boise said. Mm-hmm. One thing that he said, uh, you know, is that most people did not uh, ex- uh, exhibit a professional uh, work ethic. Well, and then you mentioned that uh, he said that uh, unless they, unless a person has a sense of uh, self, a sense of who they are, then all the training in the world won't mean anything. Well, that is another area that our children have to be trained in, you know. And and at the same time, you know, asbestos removal is is slightly different from uh, construction in the sense that uh, that work in itself, if it's not done correctly, uh, could lead to your death. Uh, exactly. In the long term, it certainly can lead to uh, yourself, you becoming uh, sick. And that's, so at the same time with that, you got to deal with all of these uh, uh, agencies. you got OSHA to deal with. you got all type of agencies. So that work has to be done right. So the training for that work, my, my good friend does that work, and he's done that for a number of years on a number of projects, and he's come in. Uh, under any other any other competitors, he knows how to underbid them, and he knows how to get that work done efficiently, and he knows how to get that work done fast. If you remember me uh, saying earlier, uh, uh, Ron, I used uh, brothers out of the neighborhood when I did my contracts in uh, CHA, and at that time we were 60% before the large contractors were 30 and 40%. Now my guys were. They, they guys worked eight hours. Mine worked 10 and 12, and they were happy to do it. Um, one thing <clears throat> is a misnomer is that our people don't want to work. They want to work. We just have to give them. I heard somebody say about challenge. We have to challenge them. And so uh, in keeping, you know, I, I made the statement about professionalism as well as profit, uh, being uh, professional as well as proficient. We have to be 
proficient. So you've got to get in and get out. Most times, most times than not, well, how do you fit into training? Just a minute. Most times than not, we're going to have to underbid that contract. And so the only way that we're going to make money is we have to get in and get out of that contract. Now, how do we train those people to do that? You know, we have to take them and 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 they have to just get pulled into the energy. And you kind of, man, uh, hmm. I don't know how, <laughs> you know, I can't put it in the words. All I can tell you is just like that country boy on the, on the 119th or whatever that was on Halsey where you saw that guy, that it can be done. And they mm-hmm. want it. They want it. You know, a lot of these kids, a lot of these brothers are coming out of situations where they're dealing with, they're doing drugs, they're doing all these things. And, you know, the hardest working guy in America is really a drug user because the things that they do 24 hours a day to supply their habits, if they learn how to channel that energy into an eight-hour job, then they can be successful. And that's where we are. That's where we are. Well, uh, if you look at the, um, uh, I, I use this example many a times. Uh, within the last um, eight years, the uh, city of Chicago has built 175,000 housing units uh, on the near west and the near south, and this whole that whole area was just built in the last eight years of 175,000 housing units and, you know, all those high-rises. So there was a projection of work that would take place in Chicago around in the surrounding loop. Along with that projection of work, there had to be a projection of who's going to do the work. And then they had to have some type of construction manager or project manager to organize contractors to get the work done. And it had to meet a certain time frame whereby did they take in consideration of building someone's enthusiasm to get the job opposed to knowing that those 175,000 housing units was going to be built in eight years. How can the black contractors in the neighborhood or black contractors uh, overall be able to address that enthusiasm that Boise said needs to be done and at the same time get the job done within a certain time period, for lack of word, um, without babysitting potential workers? I'm going to tell you right now, basically, something like it's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's going to take, it's going to take black people in general time, okay? We're coming out of a, I'd say within the past, 10, 15, 20 years, we're barely out of, of um, I should say, what's the right word for it? I should say uh, a period where I'd say we've been locked out 
racially, we've been locked out of the market, mm-hmm. okay, for stuff like that, okay? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, when you've been, as a people, when you've been locked out of the market of through Jim Crow, segregation, um, and a whole host of ills that has pervaded itself on a group of people in this country, especially the American black man, that's not something that you can get within, acquire massively what I was talking about before, self-esteem and so forth, to be able to look at your job on a professional basis. That's not something you can acquire on a massive scale um, within any short span of time, whether it's 10, 15 years, or whatever. It's going to take a whole, almost maybe a whole generation or two. Well, are you uh, alluding to racism as it relates to not uh, specifically related to construction and what oh, we're talking oh, about? that has been... <laughs> I'm glad you went there. I'm glad you both went there. I'm glad you went there (laughs) because the fact is, I'm glad because the construction industry is putrid with racism. Putrid Mm. with it. It always has been. Mm. I'm going to tell you something. And just what I did, I'm going to just give you an example of how they do it. Uh, the company that out that employed me, it was a consulting company. We were all designated as project managers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and our job was to go out on and uh, supervise the contractors and so forth, and setting up removal of asbestos and so forth. I'm not going to go through the whole whole spiel or what have you. But I know there were jobs, at least there was one I remember particularly. This was up in uh, uh, the state of Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Uh, this was a school up in Wisconsin. I'm not going to name the school for sake of privacy. Uh, well. <laughs> this, this school, this was a grade school. Okay. This was during the summer. Okay, well, we had to go in and remove asbestos-contaminated tile, okay, out of, out of the classrooms, the contractors did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was expected. Usually OSHA would have an OSHA man come around there at some point unannounced, to view the operation, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, they also would want to check the credentials of everybody, especially the person who was in charge of the operation, the project manager and so forth. They sent me up there, okay? And, well, quite naturally, when they sent me up there, I got I got the position, uh, I thought, hey, no problem. I'm in charge. Okay? 
Mm-hmm. What I found out while I was up there was that the supervisor, the white supervisor who, you know, was in charge of his men, his crew, he was actually in charge. They wanted me up there because I was the only one that in case the OSHA people came around, I had educational credentials. Nobody else did. Mm-hmm. In other words, I was a, I was to go up there and just sit. And if they showed up, you know, um, I was there, had the proper credentials, um, the proper certification, and so forth, degree. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all it took. But it was the it was the supervisor. Now he's supposed to be taking orders from me. Now I'm the project manager. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be taking orders from me, and he's actually going out on his own. Mm-hmm. And I found that out while I was up there. Mm-hmm. You see, what I'm saying. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, you and, have the. Oh, go ahead. What I'm saying here is. Is, is is this um, they used me the firm that I was employed with and I'm not going to name it they used me because I was the only highly credentialed licensed person available so that they could get the company eventually went in other words is they wanted Minority money. Okay. They wanted a part of of allocating minority money, and they needed a black in there that was credentialed that would help them get that. Exactly. Okay, and that's why that company went all out. Do you know what they did for me? They made me a lab manager. I had no... I wouldn't say I would say not adequate, but I had no desire to be a lab manager. But they insisted that right. But they insisted on me becoming a, a lab manager, and as part of the company's administration, mm-hmm. I was de- in other words, I was put in administration, lab manager. They took me. I was still a project manager, but project manager. In other words, project field manager slash lab manager. Lab manager, correct. Okay? And the majority, see, what I'm saying here is they wanted the money that was allocated for minority businesses, and they needed a black who was credentialed to qualify that company to get that. Mm -hmm. And they used me to do it. Okay. Well, you know, Gordon, I think that... uh, Brian? Oh, yes. Brian? Okay. Now, I, here's the situation. That was a good time when you, that was a good time for affirmative action plans when you, when they were uh, able to use you and they were willing to use you. But then 
they started, they being the general contractors, the white general contractors, began to be informed, Mm -hmm. informed by other white contractors that did not want uh, minorities working. I'm sitting in here, I'm holding in my hand a document, which is much like the Willie Lynch letter, uh, but we would call it, it would probably be termed the Willie Lynch letter of construction. The title of it is, how to, evade, how to Evade Affirmative Action Programs for Minority Contractors or How to Drive Compliance Officers Off Their Rocks. Uh, I and, heard of something it, like that. Say again? I heard of something like that before. I, I, I recall that some time ago. That's been around a while, haven't it? It exists. It exists. Now, let me just give you the rules. They say that Perhaps you would like to do everything in your power to frustrate this affirmative action plan. This is the end of the last sentence. Without getting exposed or blacklisted or censored, you can do it. Just follow the rules and procedures below, and I'll just read the rules. Always be courteous. Always be congenial, especially to compliance officers. Always express sympathy for minorities. Never refuse to do anything. Promise anything then procrastinate like hell. Never give the slightest inch without a struggle. Now, this document, (laughs) this document is about an eight-page document detailing how they can avoid the affirmative action program. Now, you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Ron, that they had a projection on how much work was going to be done, and that's when this letter came about because they also had a projection on who they wanted to do the work and who they did not want to do the work. So right. as you see, this, we know that this time is, is the worst time uh, that black contractors have ever experienced, not only black contractors, contractors, period. I mean, it's just a rough time. And so they don't want us being able to even get the 30% that we can get. They don't even want to get us that. So if they mess with us and mess with us and mess with us, they give us the 30%, but actually only have to end up paying us uh, 1% because they end up disqualifying us for some reason, you know, even though everything that they use to disqualify us is, is inborn. It was inborn. So, you see, we're we dealing with uh, some situations here that the only way that we're going to combat these things is to uh, unite with our people, unite, and also to understand that the union ain't the only game in town. We have got to, we, we spoke, uh, I was speaking with some other uh, gentlemen earlier today, and uh, we were talking about uh, being global as far as business is concerned and tapping into the Internet market and making millions there. Well, uh, Mr. Earl Gray says that across the world, African Americans are known as black gold. So all other races come here to get share in the $900 billion that we spend yearly. So what we have to do is, is come up with ways that we can, we can circulate that $900 billion amongst ourselves and build ourselves again. I have a concept that uh, is an old concept. Uh, I had it for some years. It was actually... Blackonomics for the for the new millennium. Blackonomics 2000 is what it's called. Unless we produce for ourselves, sell to ourselves, and buy from ourselves, it'll be impossible for us to help ourselves. 
Well, so overall, I think that, I think that end with this. we have to first look to the community. I mean, we're gonna we if we look to these uh, commercial accounts and these commercial contracts, we're gonna run up against these letters again. We're gonna deal with all these people, but we can start and we can build a base by dealing with our own people. Well, you know what? what? I'm gonna tell you something. That is that is the that is the worst fear of the white race is for blacks exactly. to be able to be self-sufficient enough for us to do for ourselves. In fact, basically what they're calling us now, uh, they're calling us, they're saying we're racist. Yeah. Well, whites, are saying, whites are saying that blacks are racist because we want to be able to do for ourselves and we're practicing separatism. In other words, is there was a... Um, uh, there's another social website that I'm a member of, uh, Black Business Trade Association. And the administrator Is got that a letter. national or local here in Chicago? That's that's national. Okay. And um he got a he got an email from a a a uh, a white person who took offense at the organization being called black and said mm-hmm. that that was racist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into the details as to the administrator's reply on that, but it was a very, very comprehensive reply in a short-order form, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and I've even received an email on my website, on my music website, uh, mm-hmm. from a, a, a white person who objected to me having uh, uh, the Chicago Black Business logo and blog talk radio on my web pages that said that that was separatist. And I responded in kind uh, with that. What I'm saying here is, is this. Any attempt, just like what you were saying, for blacks to be able to be self-sufficient, instead of them coming back like they used to do during Jim Crow times and start burning down businesses, you know, and jailing black people, now they're coming back with a new thing saying that we're racist. Okay. (laughs) I think that probably, I guess, two points here. One, uh, Boise, is that uh, you're here in Chicago? I am here in Chicago. Um, Bill, is this somebody that needs to be at the uh, the next black contractors in the neighborhood meeting? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And that that next meeting is Saturday at 12 Mm o'clock. And it's at... uh, 35th and, uh, what is that exact address? Uh, yeah, 449 East 35th Street. Uh, Boise, are you available this uh, Saturday at 12 o'clock? Well, I usually work on Saturday, but I'm a, I would like to attend something like that. Because, you know, I have to think of a way to get out of work. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell 449 you what. 449 East, what? 449 East 39th 449 East 35th Street. And that's at 12, 12 noon, right? Correct. 
but even though even though you're in the music industry, but your uh, insight into the construction and what uh, the black contractors in the neighborhood are taking on, uh, your background in the field would definitely add a lot to the overall objectives of securing yeah. and increasing and sustaining black contractors in the neighborhood. Uh, so, yeah, you're definitely welcome. But okay. with all of the big picture, and even as we uh, indicated the question and the direction of, of racism that has a cloud over black contractors, there is the city of Chicago's 2040 plan, which they're going to initiate this year, and which that has a lot to do with uh, construction and the direction uh, for certain developments throughout the city. So the the big picture is already in place, and I guess it's a matter of how are the uh, black contractors in the neighborhood and black contractors, period, is going to take a, a, a handle of this uh, big picture, knowing that maybe a lot of us may not be around in the year 2040, but how do we actually uh, lay the, the base and the groundwork for blacks to actually be in parity to its population and doing the work that is projected that will be done between now and the year 2040? Mm -hmm. I, that was an interesting um, uh, scenario that I was talking with somebody about not too long ago. Yeah, I want you to do this for me. I want you to hold that scenario. We're going to take a break. Okay. All we're right. Listening, we're listening, you're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks. We have about 15 minutes left. Great show. Our host this evening is Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. Our guest is Daryl Jones, owner of Jones Commercial, and one of my favorite favorites, composer and pianist, who's joining us this evening, Boise Queen. I'm Sonia Perdue, and I'm Ron's co-host for this segment. I am the founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com, and I'm going to put it to you just like this. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Something to believe in, 
and you're tuned in to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago as the host, and I'm Sonia Purdue. Each and every one of you is invited to Black Wall Street Chicago's Summit 11 to be held at Home and Square, located at 3333 West Arthington here in Chicago from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on Saturday, February 27th. You can contact Black Wall Street Chicago for additional information at 312-624-8351, 312-624-8351. You are listening to Curtis Mayfield, Something to Believe in. Uh, we have a great show this evening. Who gives a damn about the black contractor? We're going to go back to our host and his guest, Daryl Jones, and uh, Mr. Boise Queen join us. Ron, you got about... Five minutes, 
And then we're going to close out with a piece. I want you and Daryl to hear uh, a piece from Boise so you'll know who you're talking to tenderly. And we're going to close out with that. So, Ron, back to you. Thank you for joining us in this um, uh, lively discussion of Black Wall Street Speaks. We will be coming out with Black Wall Street USA. So, again, back to our topic, who gives a damn about black contractors? Um, is Again, is tend to elaborate, is that a legitimate um, uh, question? And to the point of, in closing out, what should we do about that type of uh uh, title. Well, I'll, I'll jump in here. Uh, I would say, in answering that question, I would say uh, it's my hope that in the future, black homeowners will give a damn about black contractors because we will uh, erase uh, whatever negative image that they have of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's gonna that's our that's our purpose right now. That's our that's our priority. That's priority one. Okay. Priority and one. so is that of a form of um, you know not to put words in your mouth, so to speak, but what initiative that that calls for? Is that a a marketing uh, strategy or is that a a educational strategy uh, to turn that around. What form of strategy uh, have you all worked out in order to uh, reach those black homeowners and property owners to uh, secure that base for the black contractors? So we've alluded to marketing, uh, and this is going to be re-educating them into as to who we really are, and not them uh, seeing us through the eyes of some other. Uh, ethnic group, uh, because, you know, naturally, as soon as you go in, uh, you know, you start bashing. Uh, another friend of mine, has, he owns probably 100 properties, and uh, so I painted a, I drywalled and painted a house for him, and uh, he had his parents come, and they were going to do another house, and so he, showed, he was showing them this property so that he could show them what he wanted them to do. And I was in there finishing off some trim, and so the Hispanic guy asked him, uh, who did the drywall? He pointed to me. He said he did. And they said, they didn't say, they didn't make any statement in front of me, but he said when they got upstairs, they said, nah, he didn't do that. He knows the drywall. <laughs> you know, so so they forget that that we we taught the world building. They forget that. Uh-huh. And I think, I think we forget that too. And so we've got to... We've got to revisit that thing, and we've got okay. to revisit the spirit of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've got to revisit the spirit where we were self-employed, we were self-contained, we, we, we were self-sustained because right. we dealt with each other. Okay, sounds great. Well, with that in mind, um, I think that as we move forward to the, uh, the summit on February 27th, and with the agenda, I know that February 27th at the summit, as I alluded to when we first uh, uh, talked about what people can expect from the uh, summit, the uh, summit 11 is a, a jam session without music. 
and uh, music in the form of uh, the instruments, but the music will be the rhythm of the people that participate. And I think that maybe if the uh, the black contractors can be able to set a, a, a jam session that will be able to ignite uh, something that has been ongoing discussion in the black community regarding black contractors. It seems as though it is an everlasting uh, issue that has not been able to be turned around. And maybe as Boise indicated, that is uh, from the roots of racism to the Jim Crow's, and I think the Jim Crow era um, uh, legally just ended in the 1950s. Is that correct? Um, yeah. We uh, still had some, not, well, not, basically I would say around about the early 60s. Early 60s. So you're looking at no yeah. more than, what, 40 years or so that yeah. the black yeah. community right. that has actually had some type of uh, gain way from uh, mental and long slavery. So exactly. I guess it really hasn't been that long it hasn't that, been that blacks long actually have been free, so to speak. Exactly. And Right, and all the catching up that it has to do. Uh, Boise, we definitely want you, if you can't make it to this uh, black I'm going to try to. I'm, I'm going to try my best uh, to get out there. Well, you put it on your agenda, okay. and even if you got to tell whoever you work for on February the 27th, you got to have a day off to come to the Black Wall Street Summit on February the 27th. That's, that's, that's February 27th, right? Right. That is okay. Well, that should eight. give me plenty of time to uh, to be able to settle up affairs to be able to get out there. One one thing I do want to say is is, is this real very, quick, very quick, very quick, Boise. Okay, is that black people, as far as contractors, have to be able to do competitively higher quality than their white counterparts for the same price. That's where mm -hmm. they can get the business. You agree with that, uh, Daryl? Well, actually, boys, the truth is is that we've got to do, we've got to be better than them. And That's we've what I'm saying. Cheaper. And, 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 boys, we've yeah. got to be cheaper than them. We can't right. even, there's no way we can go in and charge in their prices. We can't do it. Right. They, they exactly. won't, our well, people won't give it to us right now, but that's yeah. going to come. Right. That's going to come, though. But right. the well, quality, then, let's, the go quality ahead, quickly, means a lot. Gentlemen, Hello? I want to thank okay. each and every, every one of you for being a part of the show this evening. I know you're enjoying yourself. You come back again, <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> I know you're loving it. You love us on Black Hawk yeah. Chicago Speaks. And very much okay. so, very much so. Okay. okay. See, it took you a long time to get around here, Daryl, but you'll be back. And uh, we I want definitely. you to come back again. Ron, close out. you got 30 seconds, and we're going we're gonna to go. Uh, well, we'll we definitely back. appreciate the uh, uh, Chicago Black Business Network for making this all possible for Black Wall Street Speaks, moving on to Black Wall Street USA. And we want to welcome uh, people to uh, be a part of our program every Thursday at 7 p.m. and be a member of Chicago Black Wall Street 
and also uh, Chicago Black Business Network. And we appreciate our lovely host and our guide behind the scenes, Miss Sonia, as well. And we want to thank you, my dear, for making this all possible. Oh, we're going to do it, Ron. We're going to do it. This is only the beginning. We're getting excited. You see how excited? They're getting excited. It's just starting. We want just to thank starting. Each and every... Just starting. We want to thank each and every one of you, Ron. We'll talk to you next week. Daryl, see you at the board meeting. Boys, we're going to see you on the 27th. Okay. Everyone else, right. Everyone else, we're going to see you Tuesday on CBBN, on Blog Talk Radio, or Thursday, that's next week, right here on Black Wall Street. USA.